Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Exodus how Moses was to tell the Jewish people that God had visited them and how Moses was promised success and failure. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, compared to the time of all eternity, the history of earth or the history of man on the earth is infinitesimally small. But the history of man on the earth is very important. Why? Because on earth, man sinned, became lost, and became bound for hell, an eternity in hell. That was on earth. To earth, God came to save man from hell and to give him an eternal destiny, a destiny of an eternity in heaven. And from earth, saved man goes to heaven. And from earth, lost man goes to hell. So even though it's a very brief time, very infinitesimally small in the light of eternity, brief time, yet it's so very, very vital and important because it's this history of man on earth. And what Abraham told one man called a rich man who is described as lifting up his eyes in hell, the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell, it shows the importance of man's history on earth. And that's given to us in Luke chapter 16, verse 23, where it says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, is the rich man, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that They which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. So what we have, this is a very, very unique passage in Scripture. Because in Scripture we have very, very few descriptions of hell. And this is one that gives us uh, some insight. And what we can learn from this uh, account here, what we can learn from this description, is that we see a man in hell who's called a rich man. We see this man in hell in a state of torments because of the pain from a flame of fire. We see this man desiring water for his tongue to be cooled. And we're told that those in hell are described as they which would pass, if they could, that would pass to Abraham, but they cannot because of what's called a great gulf. It's a great separation. We're told that those who are with Abraham are described as those which would pass also to hell to help them, but they cannot also because of this great gulf, this great separation. But what we find significant about hell is the statement that Abraham made to the man in hell when he said, remember that thou in thy lifetime. This statement, remember that thou in thy lifetime, shows us 
that the worst pain in hell, the worst flame in hell, is the flame of memory. Even though the time of a person's lifetime on earth is so infinitesimally short compared to eternity, people in eternity have all eternity their memory of what happened during this lifetime. Forgetfulness may be a condition associated with old age, but evidently, after death, there is a perfect restoration of memory for all eternity. And this shows us that it is so important for a person to respond in their lifetime to God's invitation to be saved, God's invitation to become a child of God, God's invitation to be reconciled with God, God's invitation to have their sins paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here in verse 16, we see how God carefully directed Moses for what to do. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in Egypt. See, God told Moses who he was to speak to and what he was to say. This reminds us of how the gospel is God's invitation. It's the gospel of God, as it's said so many times in the book of Thessalonians. It reminds us this is God's gospel. It reminds us that the message is God's message. And God is specific to who should be told and what they should be told. Who should be told God's message of salvation? Who should be told God's gospel? Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who should be told? Everyone should be told God's gospel. What should be told? Paul put it so well in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, where he says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, that phrase, according to the scriptures, shows how important it is for us to base everything we say on the B-I-B-L-E, on the Bible. And when we read in verse 16 how God told Moses, go gather the elders of the Israel together, we can see God saying to us, go and speak to your friends, to your relatives, to your contacts. And when we read in verse 16 how God said to Moses, say unto them, we can see God saying to us, say the gospel message to them. Say what Paul said. Say Christ died for your sins. Say Christ died for your sins. And he was buried and he rose again. And all of this was according to the Bible, what the Bible says. When we speak to the lost about the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just a person of history, but he lives And we meet with him every day. And then in verse 16, Moses was told to tell the Jewish people that God surely visited them. You know, God told Moses that he had visited the Jewish people. Not that he would visit the Jewish people, but that he had already visited the Jewish people. And they weren't aware. They didn't know. Moses had to come and tell them that he had visited them. And and that's amazing. I mean, when you think about that, that's really amazing. And here's a people, they were visited by God and they weren't aware of it. And so Moses had to tell them. It's amazing that a person could be visited by God and not aware of it. There's a name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which really brings out the fact that 
he represents God's visitation with man. And that name is in Isaiah 7.14, where it says, Behold, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, what does that mean? God with us. Our togetherness with God. With God. Our God. With our God. Emmanuel. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ represents. He represents God visiting man. That's what he's called in Luke 178. It's where it says about him, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. He's called the day spring from on high. That's his name. He is the day spring from on high, and he's the day spring that visited us. You know, the day spring is the rising of the light in the day. It's the dawn. It's the light that comes and pierces the darkness in the sky that comes at dawn and transforms the darkness of night into the light of day. That's the day spring. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the day spring on high that visited us. He's the light of God. He's the one referred to in Isaiah 60, verses 1 through 3. Arise, shine, for thy light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. That's him. When he said, I am in the light of the world, that's what he was referring to. This place here where he said, he is the great light that comes, thy light. He is the light of the world. He is the light of Israel. He is the light of the Jewish people. And he says, the light is come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. And the Gentiles came to the light. He's the one referred to in Isaiah 9-2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. For those who recognize that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, for those who knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was God visiting the world, they're described in John 1.14 as those who understood that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But to others, they didn't see that. They didn't see the Word made flesh. They didn't see the glory of the only begotten of the Father. They didn't see the grace and the truth. What did they see? They just saw a man. That's all. They just saw a man. They looked at him and they said, what's the big deal? What are people getting all excited about him? And their reaction is recorded in Mark 6, 3. Very typical. And the reaction is this. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? They were offended at him. That's the tragedy, is they were not aware that in the Lord Jesus Christ, God was visiting them. All they saw when they looked, they just saw the carpenter. They just saw the son of Mary. They just saw the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon and his brother and his sisters. Nothing more. They didn't say anything more. They were not aware that God surely visited them. Not being aware that God was visiting man in the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest tragedy 
the greatest disaster, the greatest unnecessary catastrophe that can happen to a person. And it was described in Luke 19.43 where the Lord Jesus Christ said, The days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee about and keep thee on every side. And they shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another because... Thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. The great catastrophe is when a person does not realize this is the time when God is visiting me. It may be a Christian, a loving Christian, who goes to a lost person, pours his heart out to him, explains to him the gospel, and the person looks at him and all he sees is just a religious person. And he doesn't realize that's God's time when he's visiting him. And to push that person away is to push God away and to say, I'll have nothing to do with it. And the tragic words, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation, it was all unnecessary. And the reason, the reason why any person does not know the time when God visits them to save them is because they don't want to know the time. As it says in John three seventeen through 20, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. See, it's a conscious decision. I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to have to deal with everything that's wrong with me. So I reject the light, and I turn to evil, and I turn away from God, and I refuse to know the time of my visitation. Then God said in verse 16 that he had seen which was done to the Jewish people in Egypt. Now that's not the first time that God said those same words, I have seen all that was done to you. He said those words to Jacob in Genesis 31, where we read this. The angel of God spake unto me, Jacob speaking, the angel of God spake unto me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstricked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. See? For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. This was a time in Jacob's life when God was in the process of transferring Laban's flock to Jacob. Jacob had devised his own scheme for how to get Laban's flock, and his scheme involved carving streaks in branches of wood, and he thought when he held those wood up branches there in front of the the females, that they would give birth to these striped and spotted cattle. But God showed him in this dream that it was God who was causing the striped and the spotted males to breed with the females. And he says in Genesis 31, 12, And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstraked, speckled, and grizzled. And by the offspring coming out striped and spotted, God was accomplishing the transfer of Laban's flock into Jacob's hands. And then God explained why he was transferring Laban's flock to Jacob by saying, For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. 
That was an amazing statement. That was just amazing that God said that. It was amazing for God to make that statement because when you read the history of how they were both with each other, uh, you have to say neither of them come out smelling like a rose. J Jacob doesn't come out smelling like a rose in his relationship. I mean, what do we see him out there doing? He's out there trying to make with his own ways with the branches to manipulate how the offspring are going to come out to his advantage. And it makes you wonder, why did God say to Jacob, I have seen all that Laban has done to you. And why didn't God say the other, that uh, I've seen all that you've done to Laban? Now, in verse 17, we see God telling Moses to tell them that God said he was going to bring Israel up out of Egypt. And God wanted Moses to base what he was saying on the fact that God said it. Moses was to base everything on God said. God said. That's true of us. God wants us to tell the lost what God said. Our arguments are not based on our logic. Our arguments are not based on our experiences. Our arguments are based only on the Word of God. The Word of God is eternal. And the Lord Jesus Christ put it this way when he said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. That's why it's so important to know the Bible. That's why it's so important to believe the Bible is God's eternal word. That's why it's so important to use the Bible as authority. That's why many unbelievers will say, whatever you say, stop quoting the Bible to me because it's God's authority. Now, in verses 18 and 19, God predicts to Moses that Israel will believe Moses in what he said and that, by contrast, Pharaoh would not believe Moses' message. In verse 18, God told Moses about the Jewish people, and he said, and they shall hearken to thy voice. But in verse 19, God told Moses about Pharaoh, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. So these two verses show us how God knew how the Jewish people were going to respond, and God knew how Moses was going to respond to the same message delivered by Moses. And this in no way means that God determined the response of the Jewish people. God did not determine the response of the Jewish people. God did not determine the response of Pharaoh. He knew their response, but he did not determine their individual responses. The Jewish people on their own decided to believe God, and God knew what their decision was going to be. So God said, they shall hearken to thy voice, but Pharaoh on his own, he made his own decision to not believe God, to reject God, and God knew that, and so he said, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. That was Pharaoh's decision. Pharaoh's decision alone, he made it alone. Pharaoh decided to not believe God, and what we see later on, and we will see, is that God did ratify Pharaoh's decision by hardening his heart, but not until Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God did not harden Pharaoh's heart first, until after Pharaoh had hardened his own heart toward God. And the way that God told Moses about Pharaoh's decision is very interesting because it indicates for us that God did not decide for Pharaoh. If God had made the decision for Pharaoh, God would have never said, I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. If God determined that Pharaoh was, was not going to let them go, was not going to believe God. God would never put it that way to Moses, say, I'm sure the king of Egypt will not let you go. Because from the creation, in Genesis 1 and 2, when God did decide, it went like this. God said it was so. In other words, it was determined by God's decision in the creation. 
But verse 19 is not the language like we have in Genesis uh, 1 and 2 of God's determination. It's not the language of God that he spoke here. This is the language of God who knew. This is the language of God who foreknew. This is the language that describes God in Romans 8.29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whom he did foreknow to accept God's invitation to be saved. Those are the ones that he predestinated to have their lives changed to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't say whom he did predetermine to be saved. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of the Son. But those who he knew in advance would make their own decision to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Those are the ones that he predestined that they should have their lives changed to be like his Son. God's purpose for us in bringing the gospel to the lost is that some will be saved and some will not. But it's described, whether they're saved or whether they're lost, it's described as God making manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. God wants the savor of his knowledge, the knowledge of God, to be brought by us in every place. And God uses us to bring the knowledge of God to every person. That's his will, that everyone should have the knowledge of God. Even if they reject the knowledge of God, God wants us to bring the knowledge of God to them. See, before Moses walked into Egypt, he knew Pharaoh's response. He knew it in advance. He knew that Pharaoh was going to reject. He knew that. Before Ezekiel went to the Jewish people, he knew that they would reject. He knew what their response is going to be. He knew because God told them, the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Even though Ezekiel knew this, what their response is going to be, and Moses for that matter, he was told, Ezekiel was told, go, get thee to the house of Israel and speak my words unto them. So why did God do this? Why was it important for Ezekiel to go to the Jewish people if they're going to reject God? Because the chapter before, in chapter, Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 5, he said, For they, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. God's purpose was that they should know that he had visited them. God's purpose was that they should know that he had sent a prophet to them. So from verse 19 in Exodus 3, Moses was 100% sure that when he went to Pharaoh, his message would not be received. In that sense, Moses, Ezekiel, and us, as we go to the Jewish people today, we have been promised failure. But Moses and Ezekiel and us didn't go because we were promised that there would be a positive response. Moses, Ezekiel, and us, we go because we were told to go. And that's all the reason that we need. The Great Commission does not carry a promise that it will be received. It does not carry a promise of success if success is measured by the response of the hearers. God's message was, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, period. And our reward is not a positive response on the part of the hearers. Our reward is to hear God say, good job. You obeyed me. You get the title of faithful. 
Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said unto them, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Lord, that what you call us to do, we only have to obey you and leave the response with God. Leave the response with you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you have not made us responsible for the response of the hearers. Thank you, Lord, for showing us this today so that we would be encouraged to bring the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Now this month, Tom Cantor is offering his latest book called Whosoever Will Versus Fatalism. This book will help you to scripturally answer the questions of what is fatalistic Calvinism and who can resist God's will and what are chosen and changed children. Did God predestinate people to die and go to hell? This book will show you that we're all faced with the personal crisis of obedience. Just as Joseph and Eve both faced those crises, this book examines the character of God and His promises and compares them with the teachings of fatalistic Calvinism and provokes us with the question, what if God misled? The most eye-opening part of this book from Tom Cantor is that he himself was once a fatalistic Calvinist. Now, if you'd like a copy of this brand new book from Tom Cantor, call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or you can go to our online bookstore of Tom Cantor's materials. There's lots of them there, many of them for free listening or download. But you can go to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also download free messages there at friendshipwithgod.org or look for us on iTunes. Just search for Friendship with God or Tom Cantor or call us today for more information, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051.